This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the uh, Heartland Daily Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Tim Benson, a senior policy analyst at the Heartland Institute, a national free market think tank. Uh, you might, uh, I normally do the illiteracy podcast for Heartland, the uh, book review, uh, book interview podcast, uh, but this is not that podcast. This is a uh, special edition of our uh, school reform news podcast, so I'm pinch hitting, pinch hitting on that one today. Uh, but we got a good one lined up for you, so uh, thank you very much for tuning in. And if you like this podcast, please uh, make sure you consider giving the Heartland Daily Podcast a five-star review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show, and also by sharing with your friends, as that's the uh, best way to support programming like this. And my guest today is Dr. Adam Tyner, and Dr. Tyner is Associate Director of Research at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute where he helps develop and manage Fordham's research projects. And prior to joining Fordham, he served as senior education analyst at Hanover Research, where he executed data analysis projects and worked with school districts and other education stakeholders to design custom studies. Uh, he has also spent several years leading classrooms, teaching English as a second language in both China and California, and teaching courses at the University of California, San Diego. His work has appeared and been cited in national and international media, such as The Economist, The New York Times, Forbes, Education Week, Education Next, and The Diplomat, as well as numerous local outlets. Uh, he holds a PhD in political science from the University of California, San Diego, where he completed his doctoral dissertation on the integration of rural to urban migrant workers in China's cities. He also holds a Bachelor of Arts in International Studies for the University of Oklahoma. He is here to discuss Fordham's new report, America's Best and Worst Metro Areas for School Quality which was just released uh, about a week ago, I think. So, uh, Dr. Tyner, thank you very much for uh, coming on the podcast and joining us today. Yeah, how's it going, Tim? Pretty good. Uh, sorry about your uh, football coach at uh, Oklahoma. Uh, yeah, we, uh, <laughs> it's been some drama in, yeah. the, uh, in our football program here, but I think we've got, we're on a pretty good track again. So uh, I'm not feeling nearly as low about it as I was a week ago. Yeah, I'm... Uh, I went to the University of Florida, and our program was looking like it was headed in the right direction, and then all of a sudden just completely fell apart over the last. Yeah, last we week. met in a bowl game last year. Yeah, we did. Not, I mean, well, you guys showed up. We didn't really show up, but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So, uh, football, all my sports teams are terrible, so I don't even want to get into that. Okay, so uh, the report itself: America's best and worst metro areas for school quality. So, um. What made you guys at, at Fordham want to want to tackle this report? What was the what was the genesis behind it? What made you guys want to do this? Well, traditional measures of school quality tend to focus on measures that are kind of about just like the the overall average level of achievement of the students. So if you like Google and, you know, what are the good schools in my area or something like that, most of the time the things that you'll find, the the metrics behind those ratings will be things that are really about just like the average level of performance of the students. And it sounds like maybe it's kind of a technical difference, but it's actually really crucial to understanding school quality to compare something like the average level with another measure that would actually take into consideration where students start out. 
And so what we focus on is student growth. Mm-hmm. You got to think like when schools take in students, those students come in at different levels. Right. And yeah, I also have a lot of students who move around, you know, to different schools and everything. So um, different communities have different kinds of challenges and different students come in at different levels. And so uh, we really feel that the best way to isolate the impact that the school is having. So you're actually looking at the school quality rather than some broader measure is to look at student growth. And in the last few years, there's been new data sources that have emerged that allow you to approximate these measures of student growth at a national level. So you can compare states and districts and schools. And no one had really ever used that data to analyze metro areas before where metro areas were the unit of analysis. So we decided to look at that unit of analysis and see when we look at the broader metro areas, not just a district, not just a city, but looking at the outlying suburbs and everything, we use the census definitions to decide what a metro area is. We, we create this measure and this ranking system. uh, And then we have, a ranking on the, on our website of the hundred largest metro areas, and that ranking is mostly influenced by these student growth measures that really try to isolate the impact of the schools themselves, and um and it's just it's a new thing. It's available at metro.fordhaminstitute.org. It's an interactive website. It's not just like a PDF or something. Yeah, it's it's cool. like it's really nice. you can actually yeah you can get on your tablet or even on your smartphone and you can look at the interactive maps, look at your metro, you can drill down to more local data. If you want to look at some of the large districts in each metro, we've made that data available. And we've also made it possible to re-rank the metros because our philosophy is that you should really focus on student growth. And there are a couple other things like high school graduation rate that are in our rankings formula. But we don't assign any weight to overall average academic achievement. But we know that some people do care about that. And so we made that data available as well. So if you want to re-rank them and focus mostly on achievement, um, you can do that. We also made it possible that we, we control for the demographics of each district that we're aggregating up to the metro level. And we also made it possible to turn that off if you don't care that much about that or you don't think it's important. So we made it very flexible and transparent so that users could go in and look at different metro areas and see how we rank them based on what our what we think is the best way to look at school quality, but also to make it flexible and open so that people can you know come at it and use that data in the ways that are you know best for them. Yeah. Now before we get to the rankings itself, um, speaking of the data, what was the what were the principal data sources you guys used that you mentioned that have been sitting around and no one's really taken advantage of them yet? Yeah. So um, the the main data source is the is from these researchers at Stanford who have well it's not really from them basically they have taken all of the um, achievement data that uh, you get from like uh, math and, and reading test scores across the states um, in grades three through eight they've taken all of that data which has been uh, the, because of federal law in the early 2000s under George W Bush uh, now we have that States are required to you know, have these annual tests at the end of the year in grades three through eight. And there's some other requirements, too. But those are standard across all states. So unless there's some weird thing where they couldn't test that year because of a natural disaster or something like that, for the most part, we have data that is very, uh, very broad and you know represents really almost all the public schools. And that includes charter schools in the country. 
And what they've done is they've taken all of that data and then they've taken the few national tests that we have, like the National uh, Assessment of Educational Progress, sometimes called the Nation's Report Card. They've taken that national data, which is representative at the state level, and then they have done the statistical wizardry to be able to basically triangulate that, okay, we know that the average level in these different states is here, and then we have state-level data that's more nuanced and for every state, and so and, and for every school, I should say, uh, within within each state. So um, then you can you can kind of figure out, okay, well, if you know Massachusetts is you know higher than than Arizona to begin with, and then if this person's at this point the distribution in each of those states, then you can kind of figure out uh, how, how it looks nationally. And so that's a, it's really something that has just been around for a couple of years. They have used the last 10 years or so of data, but it does end before the pandemic. As most people know, there hasn't been a lot of state testing uh, of school, you know, in schools during the pandemic, there's been a lot of waivers, been a lot of people who just didn't take the test, like kids weren't even in school. So we we just haven't we don't have data that goes that covers the pandemic, uh, but this kind of leads you right up to the pandemic. The last year of it, which just came out, it was just released this year. The last uh, the last year of data that's available is from 2018. So this is all pre-pandemic stuff. Now, aside from the the Stanford Education Data Archive, which is what that's called, the data source I was just describing, we also use some federal data on high school graduation rates. Um, so, so those are the, the principal two data sources that we use, and it's all from like three or four years before the pandemic started. Yeah. Now, were there any uh, big metro areas you guys couldn't study because there just wasn't uh, any data available? For yeah. Yeah, there were, unfortunately. Um, there's a few places. So the the Stanford folks who um, – and, and, you know – Lots of people have used their data. It's actually a fantastic resource. We've used it on other projects at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. We actually have another project in the pipeline that uses this data. Lots of other researchers have used it. It's just no one had ever really analyzed school quality at the metro level before. That's really the innovation of this report, which is available at metro.fordhaminstitute.org. But um, unfortunately, there are a few places where uh, data is, is was not collected. There was not enough testing happening, or maybe there just was no testing happening because of you know something odd going on in recent years in that state. Where uh, one one issue is like in New York, um, there's a big movement among parents to opt out of state testing, um, and so some of the teachers groups and some some other activists have kind of promoted this as a, a way to kind of undermine a, a, you know accountability, um, and they've been successful at getting. A lot of test data to be kind of you know not so useful because the researchers at Stanford who put this thing together they will not include you as a school at, at the school level they won't include you unless you have 95 percent uh, of your students who are taking the test so that's a pretty you know strong threshold yeah. and so there are a lot of places I shouldn't say a lot of places there are a handful of places around the country and a lot of places in New York where there have they've not met that threshold or other or other testing issues. And so uh, they're not represented in that uh, Stanford Education Data Archive. And then we've excluded them as well. And I mean, it's all, you know, you can see it on the map. We uh, or, or in, read it in the report as well. Uh, for example, Seattle is one of those places that you you won't find all the upstate New York uh, metro areas you will not find. We do have New York City in there. 
And New York City has an asterisk next to it on our mat, on our on our rankings. It comes in number ten overall, and it has an asterisk because the truth is the New York Metro is actually quite big according to this, the way the census draws that line. It includes a bunch of places in like two or three or four states, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so what we're getting with the New York Metro is pretty much all of the New York Metro except for New York City Public Schools and some of the other stuff in the that's that's outlying in the in actually in the state of New York. We're getting stuff like Newark yeah. and and other areas that are inside the Elizabeth, all those. Kind of places yeah. like that, yeah. Yeah, we're getting stuff in the New York metro, but not actually in the state of New York for the most part for that. So it has a big asterisk next to it for that for that reason. But but yeah, there were a few places. But the truth is that you know there are a few places like Seattle and these places, upstate New York, uh, Albuquerque was another one of these places. But um, we really are able to rank, you know, I, I think Pretty probably of the of the hundred largest metros. I mean, it's it's a handful that we can't rank right. now. Um, I guess the assumption from people uh, would be that, uh, you know, you guys call them the superstar cities in the report. The the, uh, the the ones that everyone talks about is is sucking away all the uh, <clears throat> all the talent uh, from the rest of the country. Uh, New York, Boston, uh, Silicon Valley, uh, D.C., um, I guess even L.A. would be even included in that, that – the public schools in these places, uh, because they are um, high income, uh, that sort of thing, that those public schools in those districts uh, are better than those of their counterparts in, in say, the southeast and the Sun Belt or in the Midwest and the Rust Belt. Is that actually the case? Is that what you found with the report? Yeah, it's kind of a mixed bag, to be honest. I mean, a place like the San Francisco Bay Area, I think, is one of, you know, certainly one of those kind of superstar uh, areas. And the San for whatever reason, the, the census breaks that area up into two metro areas. So there's a San Jose, which is like South Bay. Mm -hmm. And then there's San Francisco, which includes all the East Bay and Oakland and Hayward and all those areas yeah. um, east, east of the Bay. And Exactly. And uh, and so the San Francisco metro actually looks really bad, according to our, our metric. I think it is uh, number 43 out of 50, the 50 largest metros. We, we put them in two tiers. We have the 50 largest metros and then the, we rank the, the 50 midsize metros separately. But 43 out of 50. Um, but then San Jose is number seven out of 50. So, um, you know, you can see kind of even within some of these areas that there, that there is some variation and, um, you know, the number one place that we found was Miami, Florida. Now Miami, Florida as a, uh, as a Metro, according to the census, it includes, um, most of South Florida, really it's Miami Dade and it's Broward and it's Paul Beach, Beach yeah. counties. Yeah. And and so it's got those are the that that's what's encompassed by the Miami Metro. And that's number one overall. I don't know that that's a place that would really shock people because Miami has decent overall just academic achievement anyway. So it's not a place that like those traditional measures that I was uh, kind of disparaging earlier or, you know, they would also be reflected as being doing pretty well according to those measures anyway. 
Um, and then it's also a place that has had a lot of education reform. I mean, throughout Florida, you have a lot of education reform stuff under Jeb Bush. A lot of things happen, but you also have a super vibrant charter sector in Miami. Yeah, I wanted, of students I, I in wanted, the Miami metro go to charter. So yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Um, is, did you find in the report there's any um, any correlation with uh, districts of Miami would certainly be one of them. And like, uh, say, let's see, Indianapolis, which was top five um, in your rankings. Was there any correlation between uh, the district rankings and uh, districts who were facing significant pressure from uh, from school choice options, not just charter schools, but uh, uh, like in Miami's case, with Florida, with all the uh, with all the uh, uh, private school choice programs like the Florida Tax Credit Scholarship and uh, uh, the voucher program and the ESA and the same thing with Miami or excuse me with Indianapolis with the voucher program was it did that have uh, the private school choice and uh, and the charter school movement, did that have any significant outcome on um, on those districts the districts who faced more competition from choice programs do better yeah. per se than districts that didn't. So, you know, I think we did a lot with this report by, you know, ranking all of these metros and we've got a lot of interactivity. People can, you know, make their own rankings and sort through it. Uh, but the, really the purpose of this report was to do the rankings right, right and to get this ranking that was based on measures that we thought really would reflect the school quality in those metros. And we purposefully didn't do any kind of analyses to sort of find out, you know, uh, how these things correlated with um, different, you know, factors of school spending or size of districts or, you know, the amount of school choice, those kinds of questions, which are kind of obvious, you know, you know, curiosities. Mm -hmm. uh, we we just wanted to stop and do the rankings right for a few reasons. I mean, <laughs> You know, partly it's it's hard enough to just do the rankings well, uh, and that's a, that's a substantial time, right? that's a substantial lift all all by itself. But I mean, I really always felt like if we started delving into that stuff, it would kind of undermine. I mean, we might go back and look at the rankings and think, well, maybe we should be ranking this a little more because then this place would look a little better or worse or something. I didn't want to even have to think about any of that stuff because I wanted to be focused on getting the rankings right and then kind of. You know, obviously the rankings formula is all transparent and people can change it themselves so they can go in and, and you know, be flexible about that. But I just didn't want that to be in any way something that was even in our mind. And then, you know, I thought people might not really believe us and think, you know, maybe we had done that if we started saying, hey, by the way, this confirms all our priors about education <laughs> policy, you know. So anyway, I, I guess the short answer is we don't know. Right. There's anecdotal stuff we could point out, like Miami is number one and it is a place that has a very vibrant charter sector. Um, maybe that is part of the story. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that this is really going to be an opportunity for uh, people who have, uh, you know, for having this data out there is going to create the opportunities for, you know, people to look at this at a, you know, at a big national level and, uh, and take a look and see, you know, do those correlations emerge and, you know, what kind of patterns are there um, that, you know, aren't obvious kind of anecdotally just kind of flipping through the rankings. But really, when you look, start digging in and, um, you know, at Fordham, we're going to do some of that work in the future. Uh, we have a, a project actually that's about um, charter schools and charter school penetration into the market and how that's related to, to, to 
you know, student growth in across metros that should be coming out in the next few months. So you can look out for that. But um, I, I hope that a lot of other people will look at that. I also hope that a lot of people will look locally and see what kind of stories make sense locally. We've talked to people who, you know, take a look at this and they, you know, start clicking around looking at, you know, neighboring metros or metros in their region or looking at the districts and the larger districts in their metro. And, and when they start kind of playing around with the data, they start saying, hey, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And or, or, you know, this is a this is a little strange. I want to learn more about this and figure out what's going on here. So um, I, I think it'll be really valuable for people, you know, to just check out their own information at metro.fordhaminstitute.org. Just go and play with the data and see what kind of sense you can make out of it. Yeah, it's fun playing around. You can actually it's a, sort of a time suck. You get stuck in it and just uh, not really know. I was like, oh, man, I've just spent an hour. You know, <laughs> oh, I'm, glad, I'm, glad, I'm glad you felt that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, one more thing uh, about specific districts. Cause it's just, um, I just want to make sure I understand this correctly. Sure. Uh, so uh, Chicago, uh, you know, Heartland's headquarters uh, is on the Chicago Burbs. Used to be downtown on Wacker Drive, but they just moved out to the Burbs about five or six years ago. Okay. Uh, in your rankings, uh, Chicago is number eight overall, in the, or at least in the large metros. That's number eight that's overall. That's right. Uh, number uh, eight out of 15 is the large yeah, metros. Eight out of 50. Right. So that's pretty high. Uh, now, yeah. but, um, you know, I'm pretty familiar with <laughs> Chicago's NAEP scores. Uh, you know, the nation's report card, as you alluded to before. And generally, just ballpark, I'm not sure specifically what it is, but off the top of my head, but ballpark, there's only about like one in four uh, students in uh, fourth grade and eighth grade students in Chicago um, test to proficiency, test to grade level um, on the NAEP rankings uh, pretty much every year. Uh, okay. and, and, and in 2019, the only so one and basically one out of four kids that Chicago is uh, the uh, Chicago district schools is in charge of teaching three of three of those kids will not be proficient uh, to grade level in in reading and mathematics on these tests. So if if they're failing so many students uh, um, academically that way, how can they be? How can they be so high in 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 the rankings? Yeah, so there's a couple of things going on. For yeah. one one thing, I'm not. Are you talking about the Chicago the Chicago district, or are you talking yes, about the whole Chicago metro? district? Yeah, Chicago okay. District. So the Chicago which district, which is most of the Chicago, there are charter schools in in Chicago, but most of the kids that. Uh, right. Attend. But remember that this is at the metro level. Mm-hmm. So this is going to include all of the suburbs, suburbs of Chicago. So if you click on Chicago on our map at metro.fordhaminstitute.org, you'll see Kenosha, Wisconsin, which has been in the news a lot. Yep. That place is actually in the Chicago metro area, Gary, Indiana as well, um, all the way out to Aurora and Elgin and other other places. So there's a big line. You can see a big black line. It's all yep. very transparent. And um, we did not include on the map app data for every metro that underlies the Chicago metro's ranking. We just put the largest districts on there because we well, there's just kind of some methodological issues. We deal with like really small districts, which some places have like a ton of these tiny districts. So uh, we just have the big districts on there. Um, but you can see like among the large districts that are represented on the on the map that Chicago district itself is on there. And it's not looking 
you know, bright green, which would mean it was doing amazing. It's also not red, which would mean it's doing terribly. It's actually kind of a greenish yellow, which implies that it's doing slightly above average, but not like doing amazing. And there's some other places that are bright green. Um, for example, Naperville um, and Valley View. And uh, yeah, so there's a couple places that are, are bright green. Um, so you can kind of dig into that a little bit. And so it, it isn't uh, it shouldn't be too surprising that the metro ranking might be different than what you'd find if you're just looking at the core uh, district, uh, you know, that people maybe tend to associate with that metro. But really, you know, when you're looking at all the suburbs, it's a little different. So that's the first thing. The other thing is that when we're talking about just getting to proficiency or, you know, that's really a level outcome. That's just like the average level. And at, as I was arguing at the beginning, uh, you know, we really think that that has a lot to do with the demographics of the students, that where they're starting out, challenges among different populations. And to be, really be fair to any school, you really need to measure how much progress students are making, looking at where they were a few years ago and now where they, are they. And how much progress are they actually making? Because where they came in, uh, if you know, that has a lot to do with where they end up the next year. And then you're really punishing a place if you say, well, they have terrible schools because no one's at proficiency. Uh, that could be true, but it also could just be true that they were way behind proficiency before. And now they're all getting closer to proficiency. And if we actually measured that, you'd see, well, this place is actually making a lot of progress with the students that it has. So, um, you know, I can't tell you uh, exactly what's, you know, what what is, um, you know, whether Chicago Public Schools is doing everything that they, you know, ought to do. That, like I said, they're kind of ranked in a at a mediocre, a little above average, um, for just the district itself. But the the metro as a whole, and you know, it's a big metro, goes across three states. Yeah. Um, it's a uh, you know, apparently they're they're not doing too badly. They're you know, like you said, number eight overall in our in our rankings of the 50 largest metros. All right, well, fair enough. Okay, uh, well, we're getting pretty close to the end here, so uh, just a couple more questions, just to end it on. Um, so for these metro areas that aren't uh, looking so hot, so the uh, the Honolulu's and the Vegas's and the Baltimore's and the Salt Lake Cities and Richmond's of the world, um, what can what can teachers teachers and educators and uh, policymakers, lawmakers, uh, business leaders too, what what can they do in those metro areas to help uh, bring boost those rankings? Yeah, I mean, the truth is that there are a million opinions about education policy, what gets the most out of student growth. And, um, you know, I can tell you kind of my my priors about some of this and I'd be happy to opine about that. <laughs> but before I do that, or maybe in lieu of doing that, I, I just want to say again, you know, we're focused on the progress students are making. So whatever it is that gets more progress out of students, that gets them learning more is going to be the thing that propels them. And that could be, you know, better teachers. It could be better school structures. It could be, you know, better, you know, motivation, you know, incentives for older students to, you know, to to learn more and to achieve. There could be a lot of different reasons that and, and policies that people uh, put forward. But we really encourage, you know, people to dig into their own data and and check it out and to also think about for those places that that you were just mentioning places that are kind of coming in towards the bottom of these rankings that you know this is all pre-pandemic 
data and the pandemic has taken a horrible toll on our schools. A lot of school systems have, you know, been on the you know, brink of just collapse and failure in a lot of ways. A lot of students are just not even going to school. Even now, if students are back, and I think most students are back in class uh, physically now, um, you know, you still have a huge attendance problems. You have quarantine problems. You have all these different challenges that they're having. But if you're looking at this data and then you're thinking, okay, where do we need to be in a year or two? You cannot be thinking, I just want to get back to normal because these data show that there were some of these places that were not doing well before any of those challenges even emerged. And so if you're, if you were already having a lot of struggles and not getting a lot of growth out of the students that you were serving, you've got to think like, we can't just get back to normal. We've got to do something different in the future. That's going to, you know, make sure that our schools are getting every bit out of every student that, that we serve, because, you know, that's where the, that's what these you know systems need to be thinking about. And, you know, if they're getting back to normal, isn't going to be good enough. All right. Great. So, um, I guess final question, uh, you might have just answered it with your last answer, but uh, just in case there's anything else you wanted to say. Uh, so what would you like the audience to get out of uh, this report? What's the one thing you'd want people to take away from uh, from having read it and, and uh, you know, uh, sort of searched around the data and, uh, you know, toying around with it, that sort of thing? What's, what's the one thing you'd want people to take away from this? Yeah, I mean – this is a little different report than we, you know, at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, we release a new, we do lots of research and lots of commentary. We put out a new big report every month or two. We have a, a big new report, and this is one of them. Um, but this one's a little different than our typical report because a lot of times there's a pretty narrow takeaway that you can just be like, okay, this means that, you know, this is good or this practice is bad or, you know, this is a real problem that people need to take a look at. Um, whereas with this, this project was a little different. You know, we really wanted to make it more of a tool for, for users as opposed to like just, a, you know, a report that has a, you know, a, a, a kind of a punchline at the end. And so, um, you know, we made all the data available at metro.fordhaminstitute.org. And I honestly think Tim is not a cop out. I honestly think that that takeaway is going to be different for people in different metros yep. and that, you know, they, them going in and looking at their ranking, looking at the metros in their region, looking maybe at the, you know, below the metro level, looking at some of the big districts in their, in their metro. And then, you know, trying to compare that with what they know about what's going on in their region and what they know is going on in their district and trying to make sense of it in that way. I think they're, they're going to come up with many different takeaways. And I really hope that this is a tool that is useful for people. If they, if they check it out and use it, we'd love for them to be in touch with us at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Let us know how they used it and you know what they got out of it. Or if they didn't like it, they can let us know that too. And, and just, you know, to see what kind of sense this makes at a local level, because I'm kind of sitting here at this like 30,000 foot national view and talking about all these rankings. But uh, I think there's going to be a lot of local stories that could have an impact. And I think that those takeaways are going to be more local than national in nature. All right, great. Well, uh, while I got you here, uh, besides the report, anything else you want to you want to plug? While you're on? (laughs) Well, I mean, anything else you guys got going on at Fordham or anything like that? If your listeners aren't familiar with us, I mean, the Thomas B. Fordham uh, Institute is a nonprofit, um, nonpartisan education policy think tank based in Washington, D.C. We do a range of 
uh, you know, research and commentary about education policy in the country. And, you know, we have our own podcast, the education gadfly show. We have a blog. Uh, we do a lot of work around these, around these areas. So if, you know, if your listeners are interested in that stuff, I would just encourage them to check out our work at Fordham Institute.org and, and, you know, uh, you know, take a look at our, our blog or our podcast or, you know, some of our recent reports like this one and, you know, see if they're useful to them because, um, um, we do a lot of work and we always want people to you know have a chance to to check it out all right great cool okay so uh yeah that's it um uh, my guest as uh you mentioned at the beginning uh dr adam tyner of the thomas b fordham institute uh, with their new report america's best and worst metro areas for school quality yeah i highly recommend you guys um go to the link that was mentioned and uh, check out the report and read it for yourselves and you know, get into that data, you know, search around, see what your local districts are, are, are doing, uh, how they're faring, uh, you know, compare them to other places around the country. Just, you know, really get involved and absorb all that, all that, uh, all that uh, data goodness in there and uh, check it out. And uh, so highly, highly recommend it. Make sure you go out and do that. And Dr. Tyner, again, thank you very, very much for coming on the podcast today. Uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Tim. All right. No problem. And, again, if you like this podcast, please make sure you leave us a five-star review and share with your friends. And you can always reach out to me at uh, tbensononheartland.org. That's T-B-E-N-S-O-N at heartland.org. And for more information about the Heartland Institute, you can just go to heartland.org. And uh, make sure you check out the Heartland Daily Podcast every day. There's a, there's a new podcast up every single day for you guys. So if you're not already uh, you know, podcasted out at this point in your lives... Uh, through the pandemic and everything, you know, make sure you check out all those all those podcasts every day. We got uh, all kinds of stuff for you. So thank you very much for listening to this special edition of the School Reform News podcast, and uh, we'll see you guys later. And take care. <laughs>